Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks, and welcome to episode 35 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. This week, it's my regular monthly jobs around the apiary. Beekeeping Short and Sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Welcome once again to my weekly podcast, and my thanks to those of you listening via the Patreon page. I really appreciate your support. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a support page where you can help me create more content by signing up to one of my reward tiers, and in return, you gain access to additional content and support from me. These start from as little as $1 per month, so I believe with the regular quality content I'm producing, $1 represents excellent value for money. If you've not yet started beekeeping and you're looking for help and assistance, pop over to my website www.norfolk-honey.co.uk forward slash get started and I'll do all I can to help you out with suggestions and recommendations for you. As usual, I'll leave any relevant links for this week's podcast in the show notes. Well, can you believe that it's our October Jobs Around the Apiary podcast? And it's really feeling like autumn outside now. I was at my allotment this week and someone had lit a bonfire. It suddenly felt like summer was gone and the chilly months now lay ahead of us. Obviously, the number of jobs begins to reduce now and the frantic, time-sensitive, must-do jobs give way to an altogether more comfortable, do-it-in-your-own-pace kind of method of working. That's not to say there are not jobs that do still need to be sorted promptly and in good time, but that feeling of spinning plates and dashing from cane to cane to keep them all in the air is not quite so intense now. Everything we did last month and are finishing off this month with our bees gives them the very best chance to see out the winter and resume strongly again next spring. So don't put off any urgent jobs you may have, especially if it means treating and feeding your bees. The main job for me at the moment is removing the treatments that went into the hives about six weeks ago. You'll remember that I'm using Apistan, and the Apistan treatment that I used needs to come out now, although an additional week or so is not going to cause any problems, but it mustn't be left in the colonies to overwinter. And October really is the last month that the weather will be warm enough to pop the crown board and get into the bees without causing a sudden drop in brood nest temperature. I'm sure the bees can cope whenever you decide to remove the treatments, but doing it now also makes it a little more enjoyable for the beekeeper as well. Leaving the treatments on, especially the pyrethroid treatments, can lead to resistance in the mites, so it's important to get them off and dispose of them sensibly and in line with the manufacturer's recommendations. All of my colonies have been fed with heavy sugar syrup now, and it's also time for the feeders to come off. One of the things I really have got to get to grips with this year is to make sure that they're washed out promptly and ready for storage over winter. One tip I can pass on is that if you're using a feeder with the removable cup or cover style, the type you see in the rapid feeders or the um, plastic sheets in the Langstroth polyhive feeders that I've been using. If you remove those covers, it allows the bees to get into the main body of the feeder and clean up every last drop of syrup. Not only does it give the bees a tiny bit more syrup, it also has the effect of cleaning out the feeder almost completely, so there's less for you to have to wash. So it's a win-win really. 
If you are still feeding your bees, we really are into the last opportunities of this autumn. Colder weather will see our bees clustering and buckets or feeders of syrup left on the hive will act as a heat sink, drawing heat away from the cluster. Heavy sugar syrup is the only type of feed you should be giving the bees now. Light sugar syrup takes far too much effort and energy for the bees to manage at this time of the year, and you may well find that the bees take it down, store it only for it to ferment and become either unusable by the bees, or possibly worse, giving them dysentery and making a mess of the combs that they're overwintering on. If you have any concerns about feeding syrup, you could always switch to fondant from here on. This is perfectly okay for the bees and they'll soon devour it all. If you're overwintering your bees on anything other than a single brood box, remember to remove the queen excluder now, if you haven't done so already. You probably have already done it, but there's always someone who gets to spring only to find that the queen excluder is still in place and the queen potentially gets separated from the bulk of the cluster. Overwintering on a brood and a half is most often the practice on smaller brood boxes such as the Smith and National Hives. Remember a brood and a half is simply a brood box with a super left on it and here we have another one of those situations where beekeepers have a choice to make. Leave the super above the brood box or move the super below the brood box between it and the floor and of course beekeepers have some very defined reasons for doing one thing or the other. My personal preferred method is to place a super on the floor with the brood box above. In previous years this has allowed me to carry out my oxalic acid treatment with the minimum of fuss as the brood nest is usually still neatly positioned in the top of the brood box. This year however I shall be using an oxalic acid sublimator so not quite so important to have the brood nest at the very top of the hive. What I have also found in the past is that with the open mesh floor it allows air to circulate but the super keeps the very chilly winds further away from the cluster and I think that's a positive as well. The bees still move down to the food stores in milder weather but in the spring I find the queen hasn't yet been down and laid eggs in the super which makes it easier to revert it back to the super above the brood box having once again replaced the queen excluder but that does seem like a very long way off right now. So having got the hive set up for winter, the next job might just as well be protection from pests, particularly mice and, for me, green woodpeckers. If you have quite a wide open entrance block with a fairly tall opening, you'll find that mice are very quick to realise that the clustered bees won't bother them and they then sneak inside. That results in them chewing a fairly large hole in the wax comb and building a nest, and they can do that completely safely and uninterrupted for the entire winter. And of course you only find out the damage has been done when you open the hive in spring and see several mice shoot out of the entrance. A simple mouse guard will prevent this from happening, and as there's very little pollen for the bees to gather during the winter months, there's little damage done. Once spring has sprung, early removal is essential as the bees will once again be bringing in the early pollen, which is so essential for a growing brood nest. And you don't want that being knocked off by a metal mouse guard. Preventing the green woodpecker from attacking the hives is a simple job too. Again, lots of beekeepers have their own special way of preventing damage. I've seen metal panels, black plastic sheeting, plastic compost sacks, 
insulation blocks made into additional external walls. There are lots of different methods out there. Once again, my preferred method is a simple chicken wire wrap. I use a piece of chicken wire about 600mm high and approximately 25 metres in length. Each side of my hive is about 500mm at its widest, usually the roof, and so four sides, each 500mm long, adds up to around 2 metres, and if you add a little extra to allow it to wrap around and overlap, it's then a simple case of bending the end wires around the chicken wire itself to secure it in place. I've used both the 1 inch and 2 inch size diameter in the chicken wire and both seem to be effective and I've never had any problems with woodpeckers using either of those uh, wire mesh. Oh and don't forget to protect your spare equipment such as supers and spare brood boxes. The woodpecker obviously doesn't know they're empty until it's knocked a hole in the side. Another task for me this month is cleaning up the honey room. A job that is as essential as it is a chore to me. A necessary chore though, and once done, it always makes me feel good. It's just getting started with it. No matter how careful I am when I extract honey, there are always the inevitable spills. And a little honey, just like blood, seems to go a very long way. I've only just finished the whole extraction process, so cleaning the honey room also means cleaning out my extractor, the warming cabinet, otherwise known as an api melter, and I've got various buckets and pails that need to be cleaned up as well. I'm just about to take ownership of a new bottling machine, which is very exciting, as that will take away some of the repetitive pain of jarring up hundreds of jars of honey. It's something I've wanted for a long time and uh, finally committed to getting one, so I'm quite excited about that. If you've extracted all of your honey, no doubt it's safely stashed away somewhere where it won't spoil. The most obvious problem I would suggest being fermentation. Honey with an excessive amount of water in it will allow natural yeasts in the honey to ferment, and this will in turn ruin your honey. This is where the very useful instrument called a refractometer comes in handy. It's a very simple way of checking the water content of your honey, and they're relatively inexpensive. You'll want your honey to be under 20% water content, and ideally something less than 18%. Remember that honey naturally sucks in moisture. This is called a hygroscopic effect. It will see honey that has a low water content absorb moisture and then potentially spoil. So don't let that happen to your honey. All that hard work by the bees and you going to waste. Prevention is far better and a simple plastic bucket with an airtight lid will do the trick nicely. Try to store the honey in full buckets as well. This will also help. You don't want that large air gap above the honey if you can avoid it. Of course, your honey will granulate in the bucket over time, so don't worry if when you open the lid you see that the honey has gone solid. This is particularly the case with oilseed rape honey. But if you want to make a delicious soft-set honey, then oilseed rape honey is the ideal honey to experiment with. And I have a video on YouTube showing a process called the DICE method for making soft-set honey that will blow your mind. And once all of the cleaning is done, it's then a case of washing down the walls, floors and windows in the honey room. It's surprising how much poop a few honeybees can leave behind when they travel back to the honey room with you. Another good reason to make sure supers are cleared as best as possible before you bring the honey back for extraction. Finally, it's time to check out the beekeeping press. And don't forget your email inbox. It's the month of the National Honey Show here in the UK. And at the end of the month, lots of beekeepers will be heading to the National Honey Show with their very best produce. Along with the Honey Show, 
Of course, there will be a trade show, and that means that there should be some bargains to be had. So do take a close look at what you have, what you need, what you want, draw up a list, and remember to check it twice. Well, that's it for this week. I hope your beekeeping season has been a raging success and that your preparations for the winter have gone well. Remember, being prepared now will see your bees exploding into the spring next year, fit and healthy, ready to take on another season. Next week is our question and answers session. So until next week, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping, short and sweet. <laughs>